You are about to listen to Season 2, Episode 11 of the Meet Mediocrity Podcast. My guest today is Greta Lovenheim. I've known Greta for many years, starting when she was a teenage freshman, starting college with my sister. May she rest in peace. Greta was always my sister's kind, smart, fun, overweight friend, very overweight. Like most people who undergo an important life transformation, there was a pivotal moment that sprung Greta into action. And then there was a weight loss of over 200 pounds. Ready to hear about all that? Let's get started. your host, Mediocre Mitch, and welcome to the Meet Mediocrity Podcast, Season 2, Episode 11. I was reminded this week why I started the Meet Mediocrity Podcast and what it's all about. So I had a friend tell me this week how his calendar year 2020 goal, his North Star, has become seeing himself in a more positive light, accepting his strengths, recognizing his weaknesses, and looking for self-improvement in a manner that worked for him. He started doing 10-minute yoga classes on YouTube and had expanded that to, oh, now he does a one-hour morning routine that includes yoga, power walking, and a short meditation. He's also started and stuck with two fairly straightforward diet disciplines. He drinks a gallon of water every day, and he limits sweet treats or desserts to Saturday night only, one treat per week. But here's the kicker. He told me that he started this mindset and this process in April, when it started to become clear to him that COVID was not going to be going away anytime soon. And he told me that the whole thing started and came to his mind when he's listened to Meet Mediocrity, Season 1, Episode 1. Now, that really made me feel incredible. So, today's guest, Greta Lovenheim, she had a pivotal moment of her own a little over two years ago. And now, Greta's over 250 pounds lighter, and she's living a brand new life. So from my perspective, it's not about following any one specific path to wellness, weight loss, self-improvement. It's about finding yourself and then finding what you need to make you feel like a better version of yourself and finding things that will encourage that and finding things you can stick with and then just doing it. And that That, my friends, is what mediocrity is all about. And that is what Greta did. So without further delay, here is my conversation with Greta Lovenheim. So Greta, thanks for being with me today. Thanks for having me. Well, first of all, you and I actually, while, while I wouldn't say you and I are personal friends, we actually go back a long way. 
a long way. So Greta, you went to undergraduate school with my sister a long, long time ago. A long time ago. <laughs> and I think, and I think I might have heard actually, of my life ago. Yeah. I think I might have actually met you like Marsha's first week at college. I think that's right. Because I, I remember visiting her, getting her all, you know, right after my parents got her all settled in, I went and visited her. And I remember sitting on the floor of her dorm room and I remember meeting you and your friend Trish and you guys are still part of our lives. So it's been a long time. I think my dad and your dad bonded the first day I was moving into BU. (laughs) They kind of ran into each other and there was, there was a a bond there that we were laughing over. Well, my father isn't shy and I don't think your father's shy either. So, so. (laughs) <laughs> those two bonding on their first uh, interactions, not surprising at all. So the thing, the thing that got me to want to have you on my podcast is your incredible weight loss. Um, but you and I actually, before we get into the weight loss, they just, we have something else in common. So I know you, you have a career in finance I do, and I have a career in accounting. Um, yep. but undergraduate, I was an English major. And you were a dual major history and economics. Yep, that's right. Tell me, tell me how you ended up as a history major, economics major, undergrad, and ended up with a career in finance. <laughs> well, when I went to when I went to undergrad, I was convinced <clears throat> I was going to be a lawyer. I always had an interest. My dad was a lawyer. Uh, he doesn't practice now, but he was <clears throat> for years. I. Uh, I always had an interest in history, American history for uh, certainly. And um, I thought, you know, okay, economics and history would be great for law school. So let me do that. Um, ultimately, I sort of veered towards the economics um, and then ultimately got in, you know, fell for finance when I started down that path. But history was always the fun subject. It was always you know, that's what, that's, that's what I do just for me. And, you know, the other side is really more kind of, let's focus on what I can do as a career. Well, it's interesting you should say that because I, I actually admire people who take at least either as a primary or a secondary major, something that they really enjoy. Yeah. I was an English major undergraduate and um, I stumbled upon it. I started off pre-med. I got a D in organic chemistry. Yeah. I realized yeah. I was never going to become a doctor. And <laughs> my father said to me, uh, you will get a college degree in four years. I don't care in what. And I said, it's great. Fun. I'm going to study something that I really enjoy, which is English literature. Yeah. And I spent my entire college career laying on my bed, reading books and writing papers. <laughs> <laughs> well, And I honestly think, I mean, and I noticed this with history with me, but I, history taught me how to write. And I really feel like it's been, you know, an advantage in the workplace to be able to have, be able to structure your thoughts and writing. I'm a very well-written accountant and you're, <laughs> exactly. a, very, and, and you're a very well, well-written financial consultant. So, right. exactly. so, you know, so I'm a big proponent of, of, of that. So if this is a lesson, lesson number one of this podcast <laughs> is you can study something fun in college, something you enjoy, get something yeah. useful out of it and actually go on to a career in something completely different. And, and, and having gotten something from studying something you enjoyed. 100% agree. But um, Greta, the real thing is your weight loss journey. So you, I've known you a long time. Yeah. And um, you always struggled with your weight. You were 
very, very big and overweight. And I always knew you as, you know, Marsha's fun, fun, overweight friend. Um, And you've done something quite extraordinary over the past couple of years. You've lost at least a person or two. (laughs) <laughs> but let's yeah. start at the beginning. I had a person or two to lose, but I certainly have, yes. <laughs> so let's start at the beginning. Um, Greta, you know, you always knew you were heavy um, and you lived with that for quite a long time. So tell me a little bit about your life pre-weight loss um, and, and your struggles and learnings from that. Yeah. I mean, I, I was a heavy kid. I always was. I, I think back and I, you know, I don't know why these numbers, uh, you know, stick in my head, but I, I, I think about when I was, you know, bat mitzvah at 13, right? And I'm, I weighed more then than I weigh now, right? I've always been heavy. I ultimately, I, I've tried for, you know, I always knew that I wanted to do something about it. I always, you know, tried the, the you know, most effective thing I could think of. Um, and I just never really had um, success for, for years. I mean, three decades. Uh, give or take. Um, I, I, one, one of the things I knew that there was an underlying health condition in terms of having um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, which, you know, is very, um, one of the impacts of that is that it makes it very difficult to lose weight and very easy to gain weight. And that, you know, was a key part of my struggle for that long, length of time. So it was something I always struggled with and always wanted to do something about, but it on and off sort of gave up on because I just couldn't find something that worked. Did you, um, did you get any advice? I'm sure you got plenty of advice, but did you get any, did you, what kind of advice did you get that either resonated with you that resonated with you in either a good or a bad way? Yeah. You know, I, I, I think being a heavy person really, and you know, I have, I am a very social person. I got a lot of advice, solicited and unsolicited. Uh, you know, there were even times, and I remember an instance uh, where I was coming out of a restaurant with your sister, actually, uh, with with Marsha and and Trish, another good friend of ours. Um, and somebody stopped us on the street and told me that I really needed to lose weight, and you know, started to tell me how they had done it, and it was, you know awkward and uh, uncomfortable. And, you know, I'm not sure what to make of that. But, you know, I, I, I got lots of advice. I think um, people try, you know, the sense that sort of hit me negatively was, you know, really the, the key theme of, you know, I must not be trying hard enough, or I would be able to figure it out. Um, and that was sort of, that ultimately was discouraging. It wasn't intended to be discouraging by people. I think it was, you know, people were trying to come up with, you know, they see somebody who is clearly struggling with something. They want to help them figure it out. And it's, you know, it impacts every, every moment of every day. So they're trying to help. And I certainly understood the intent behind it. Um, But it was such a frustrating thing to be constantly receiving that advice when you feel like you don't know, you, you haven't been able to figure out something that would work. Right. So what about, you know, you, so you said you had an underlying medical condition. What about like medical advice? Forget about the random, the random jerk who meets you on the sidewalk, but we're, do- <laughs> we're, we're, we're doctor, we're doctors giving you, you know, a direction that, that they wanted you to take other than uh, lose weight. 
<laughs> yeah. So I certainly got, you know, advice about losing weight. Um, not in terms of how, but that I should. Okay. And then that's not that helpful. Not that helpful. And then I also occasionally, you know, on my annual physical would get, you know, if you, people trying to convince me to be referred to a um, bariatric surgeon to, to have right. the surgery and have it and have that sort of help me along. And I resisted that. I had, I had never had surgery before in my life. I had heard about, you know, every horror story about complications, the more I would have looked Look, into there that. Are lots, there are lots of good stories, but there are horror stories too. Yeah. yeah. It just, it scared me. So I was not willing, you know, to, to jump into that. I, I, I knew that I saw at some point would figure out something that's not surgically uh, enhanced. Not that, there's any, not that there's anything wrong with that, but for me. But you wanted to. I wanted to figure it out and do it um, by lifestyle changes because it, I was going to have to make the lifestyle changes even if I had surgery. So I like that. Um, the only thing I don't like about it is it probably made it a longer struggle for you. Correct. Because, yeah. you know, a, a surgery might've been a more, a more immediate and instant, um, you know, benefit, but yeah. You told me a story, Greta, about kind of a life event yes. that actually really, really impacted me, but it was the life event that kind of turned this whole thing around for you. And it was only a few years ago. So why don't you tell me about that? Yeah. So it was, um, so in late July, 2018, um, I decided once again <laughs> that I was going <clears> to <throat> conduct an experiment. And, and, and actually, I, I, I hadn't done it this way before, but I had a trip booked six months from then to Hawaii. It was a bucket list trip. I'd always wanted to go. I've never and been to Hawaii. I really want to go to. So I, I've now been twice. Okay. Uh, so I highly, highly recommend it. I would be okay. going three times if it was not during COVID. So understood. <laughs> but I had a trip booked for six months from then in, Dece in December 2018. I had my, in late July, my brain started thinking about all the things that I wish I could do in Hawaii that I probably wouldn't be able to do because of how big I was, mm -hmm. um, you know, from getting on a helicopter to going hiking to doing all these things. Zip lining. Zip lining, <laughs> right? Like everything you hear people like about Hawaii are all very active things. Right. And I just was starting to get a little bit down that like here I've wanted to go for 30 plus years and I'm finally going and I'm not going to be able to do all the things I would want to do. So right. I started my experiment of like, okay, for six months, I've got six months before the trip. Let me see how much I can lose. And in my head, it was, I'd, I'd have been thrilled if I'd have lost 30 pounds by then, just mm -hmm. start down the road. And again, I, I was, you know, uh, I was over 460 pounds at that point. So this was not a small, th that would have even been a small amount. Um, right. but I, I had a lot to go. Mm -hmm. So then I started down the path, um, just sort of tracking what I ate and doing portion control. And I hit, like I always had done in the past, I hit a plateau and I couldn't shake it. Right. About mid August. So this is maybe three weeks later. I choked on a cashew nut at dinner with my mom and my sister visiting. Just, just a nut. Just a nut. on a nut. Okay. A nut. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I was actually trying to be good because I was at a Thai restaurant, not having pad Thai because I wanted to limit carbs. So I had cashew chicken. 
<laughs> okay, that's slightly better, but you choked in <laughs> a cashew nut, which turns out to be a huge blessing in disguise. A huge blessing in disguise. So I, for the first time in my life, uh, had to be overnight for more than, actually more than one night, but I had never had to even be overnight in a hospital before. They had to go in and remove the cashew nut from the bottom of my left lung. <clears throat> mm-hmm. In that process, I, you know, my big epiphany there was, you know, I show up at the hospital trying to, you know, communicate to the medical professionals what was going on and why I was there. And it became very clear and it took literally over five separate people for me to try to explain what was happening before somebody believed that that had really happened. And were, they were judging what they saw. So wait a minute. So the, the, you, you're an educated, grown adult. Correct. You told them that you had choked on a cashew nut and they, they wouldn't believe you because no. you were obese. Correct. They, they kept telling me that, you know, they're sure that wasn't the issue and that I must have asthma because, I, because of my weight. And I, you know, I've never been diagnosed with asthma. I have never had asthma in my life. Um, I hate to say it. I hate to say it, Greta, but I know, I know what you're saying is true. Not that I would doubt you, yep. but, but people do that. You know, you see someone who's overweight and you just assume that they're weak, that they're foolish. Cause how could they allow themselves to be overweight? Correct. Meanwhile, you are a smart history and economics major. A successful finance career. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Okay. So anyway, how did you get them to believe you? So because I had been at dinner with my mom and my sister, they were there. And it was, it was all three of us consistently saying to multiple people that I had no breathing issues before I ate a cashew nut. And coincidentally, after eating the cashew nut, now I had breathing issues. And you could hear something blocking my breathing. Yep. Um, finally somebody, one of, you know, the fifth person got a pulmonologist on the phone and said, here's what she says. And pulmonologist said, uh, this is, this is urgent. Get her to our main, uh, hospital. We're, we're going to go in and get it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it literally took explaining it multiple, multiple times. Mm-hmm. And, mul- and multiple people, like if I had been there, God forbid, I had been unconscious. And there hadn't been a family member with me. I'm not sure what would have happened. You would have you would have died while they treated you for asthma. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> God, unbelievable. And so that was my epiphany, right? Like here was a cashew nut, which was you know symbolic of food that literally almost killed me. Right. And I was being judged visually without somebody actually listening by multiple medical professionals. I at that moment decided I'm never going to be in this situation again. Right. Good for you. Okay. So how did, so that it's easier said than done. Correct. Yes. So, so then what? So at the, you know, again, through that experience, you know, because, you know, not intentionally, but I was in the hospital for, you know, several days, I, because I was being treated for having something in my lung, I didn't need anything for, mm-hmm. for 48 hours. And so, uh, so you were on, on like an IV or something. I was on an IV. Okay. Yes. Um, but ingested no, you know, right. solid. Food. Sure. Um, and so, and obviously broke through that plateau 
as a result of that, not that I would recommend that as a strategy to break, break through anybody's plateau, it's to go in the hospital choking on a cashew nut, but um, <laughs> it did make me, it, it, it rang a bell in that I had, in some of the research I had done in the past um, around intermittent fasting, it made me want to look into that a little bit deeper just because it proved I could break through a plateau. While you had been fasting for 48 hours and it intermittent fasting is something I've read quite a bit about. It's not just popular, there's science behind it. Correct. Yes. The, the, it, weight loss is certainly part of what it is um, very useful for, but there's a lot of research about other types of health benefits as well. Agreed. Yep. Um, and so, you know, coming out of the hospital, I had a week where I was not allowed to work, which, you know, as a workaholic, um, gave me a lot of, you know, bored time on my hands. I'm sure so, you came. I'm sure you came up with an important project. That's what busy people do. <laughs> I did, and uh, was was laughed at by my mom and my sister because I spent most of my time, you know, on the computer researching. You know, okay, how I, I I've had the epiphany moment. I am never going to be in that situation again. How am I going to do this? And what's really going to work? And I, you know, I I researched pretty much the whole week. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I stumbled upon uh, a BBC documentary around intermittent fasting. I stumbled upon um, a book by one of the leading, um, ne actually, nephrologists around um, the ketogenic diet and fasting together. Yeah. Um, and just um, absorbed that like a sponge. And I thought, okay, you know, this seems like, you know, I, uh, parts of both of those, um, the documentary and the book highlighted that people with PCOS were, you know, were people who could really benefit from this approach because of the lower carbohydrate diet of the, of the ketogenic diet, but then also fasting helped to helping to kind of reset, um, and, and, and lower your insulin resistance, which is a big part of PCOS. Um, so, so I, you, okay. so it's, it's interesting. So you reached a moment right here, Greta, where, because because this is important, you recognize that you had a medical condition. You had an epiphany moment that was a trigger moment where you said, "I think I, I I'm really motivated to do something about it." Which I know their trigger moments exist, Greta, because I've had many in my life where you sit there for years saying, "I'm going to do something," and then something happens, and all of a sudden you're like, "Okay, now I'm going to do it." That's right. Uh, so you've had the epiphany moment, and then here's the the thing that that's most amazing, what you found is a series of tools that somehow you related with somehow you felt like I can, I can do this. Yes. Yeah. So then what happened? A key, a, you know, a key to anything working is being able to stick to it. Stick to it. And, and, and stick to it means you believe in it. Stick to it means it fits in your lifestyle. Stick to it means you, you relate to it. And it sounds like that, a combination of ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting did all that for you. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So you started on this little journey. I did. And, and, I, and it was one of those things, again, because of a lot of the unsolicited advice I'd had over the years, I didn't tell anyone I was doing it. I really, like, I, I just, I, I told them I was researching, but I didn't, you know, I didn't announce to friends and family that I'm, okay, I'm doing this new approach and let's see how it works. It was really something I'm like, okay, this is my experiment. I'm going to just see how it works. I and um, it was, it, it's funny because I, a, that helped me sort of be able to, you know, 
not have to worry about how, you know, people hear fasting and they can think you're insane. They do, um, but, 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 but there is a science to it. I've read about it, but I know how people will react. They'll be like, um, you have, you have some other form of dietary, you know, illness and that, and now you're starving yourself and that that's not what you were doing. Correct. Yes. Okay. Um, and so as I, you know, really within the first few weeks of, you know, going down this path, what people noticed, um, and family in particular, they noticed the results. They saw changes very quickly. Um, the, you know, it started, it, it, started and was consistently, um, you know, making progress so much at the beginning. I mean, and, and really over the course of the last two years, but that within a month, you know, I had my dad, for example, say, you're doing something and it's working. What are you doing? You know, my dad who had been big his whole life, um, had been asking, you know, realized that something I was doing and he tried every diet under the sun as well. Um, and as he noticed my results, he was, he was like, what are you doing? I want to, I want to understand it. And then he actually started down the same path. He and my stepmom as well. And they both have had, you know, I'm, I'm certainly, you know, proud that I've been able to have success, but he has had just at 77 years old, you know, he's lost over 130 pounds since that time on the same approach. So what you're saying, so first of all, there's a, so the, first of all, you know that that really resonates with me. First of all, you're saying that it's never too late to do something. And second of all, you're saying someone in their 70s who has had a lifetime of, of carrying weight around can actually lose weight and change their life. Change their life, yes. And he's, um, and at the moment, he's lost this weight. He's happy. He's healthy. He's much more mobile. Is that right? That is 100% correct. Yeah. And I mean, both he and I, were, we're not at our goals yet. Like we're still going. But, uh, but yes, uh, we, he, he very much is much more active. He, you know, he's, he went from, you know, struggling to going to take a, you know, walk of any, any distance without sort of stopping and resting along the way to now he's the first one to want to go take a walk. Let's go for a walk. Yeah. So, um, so you lost, so two years, you started showing weight loss pretty quickly. Two years later, you've lost a ton of weight. Your entire life has changed. Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, so in so many ways, so not just sort of, you know, certainly, um, PCOS has gotten, you know, my symptoms of that are pretty much gone. My, I had migraines for 20 plus years. They're basically gone. I think I've had one in two, you know, one in the last maybe year where I used to have two or three a month. Um, I mean, so many, I can't even, you know, I can't even tell you in every single way. Like my, my doctor who was, was not necessarily a big believer in, in keto tells me my, my health markers, my numbers are beautiful. I never thought I would hear that word yeah. <laughs> in, that, in that respect. So, so I'm not, uh, so uh, listen, I'm not saying that, that intermittent fasting is for everyone. What I do think is for everyone is understanding your own, your own condition, whether it's a medical condition, a mental condition, an emotional condition, or some combination thereof. I'm a big proponent of understanding your condition 
learning about and understanding options that are available to you. As you just said, Greta, find the one that you can stick with and relate to and yeah. do something with it. Uh, but I do want to work for your body, right? Like I mean, that, that, that was works for your body. For exactly. Yeah. So I know. So, but I do, I am curious and I know others who are listening will be curious about intermittent fasting. Cause as you said, fasting comes with the connotation. Oh, that's not healthy. That's not, but that's not true. So can you tell me Greta, like a typical day, mm-hmm. what intermittent fasting means? And then we'll get into kind of the more extreme days as well, but just the, the typical day. Yes. So, I mean, the, the concept of intermittent fasting is basically you, you are you are very um, intentional about when you eat and when you don't, so that you give your body enough time to get out of sort of processing food mode and into, um, you know, into more of the, you know, self-healing and repairing, um, you know, damaged cells potentially mode. Mm-hmm. So for me, what that means on an average day, I always fast every day for a minimum of 16 hours. So between that includes, that includes sleeping, includes sleeping. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so from from my last bite of one day to my first bite of the next day is always a minimum of 16 hours. Um, so I would, you know, have lunch and then have dinner and then not eat again until lunch the next day. I would, I would eat, I would drink water. I would I take a multivitamin, uh, but I, I I don't have a bite of food except for those two meals a day, at a minimum every day. Okay, so you do have a multivitamin. You are well hydrated, correct? But you eat you're eating solid food for eight hours between or, or during an eight hour window correct. between lunch and dinner. Okay. Yeah. I get that. So that's a typical day. The multivitamin is a good add-on to make sure that you're getting those those um, you know nutrients that you need. Yeah, hydration is important. We all know that. Um, now, Greta, I, as I, as I understand it, you know, people who are like diehard intermittent fasters also do some more extreme fasting. So they 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 do this what you described kind of every day, and people have different windows, but usually it's kind of that 16 to eight or it's something close to that for most people who are on this, but, but do you do the more extreme fasting as well where you might go an entire day or more? I do. I do. Okay. So at, at least once a week, I will do um, a 24 to 36 hour fast um, for me changing up um, and not doing the same thing every day helps um, helps my progress. So I, after you do this for a while, your body can get very used to the routine and sort of adjust to it. So by changing it up a bit, um, it's, you know, it allows you to kind of continue to make the progress that you've been making. Um, mm-hmm. so, and, and so those, those days where you might do a full, a full day fast, like you just described, like, are you unable to function? Are you like, just mentally wiped out? Like, do you, have to, do you have to do that on a weekend day because you simply can't, can't function? No, in, in fact, it's quite the opposite. So one of the, one of the benefits of doing this, um, which was not intentional, <laughs> um, but, it, but it happened, uh, is I'm completely off caffeine because the mental clarity is actually much better. Wow. And I like, you know, I, I've gotten into the habit of, you know, my breakfast is a one liter bottle of water mm-hmm. and that's all I need to wake me up in the morning. 
Um, and so I, you know, I, I actually find that doing those kinds of fasts on a work day, um, a is easier to stick to because I'm busy and right. I, you know, not, uh, have, I don't have time to think about, you know, what am I, what should I be eating? Um, but, but secondly, you know, I actually find them, if anything, more productive those days. Wow. That's unbelievable. So here you are, Greta, you are two years into this. You said you haven't reached your goal weight, but you look great. So you must be getting close to your goal. I'm pretty close. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> exercise. Do you do much exercise? Is, so, that, par- is that part of a part of this or, or doesn't have to be? I- I'm curious. Let's put it this way. Um, it, certainly fitness is important. I would say in terms of the progress that I've made, you know, diet, when it comes to weight loss is, you know, a very high proportion of the, everyone says that. Yep. Right. Um, I, for most of the time that I have been, you know, on this path for the last two years, most of that time, I really didn't add in any intentional um, exercise. My activity level certainly has, you know, grown by leaps and bounds as the weight came off. Right. Um, So that certainly has helped. I would say only for since about January um, have I started sort of taking a daily walk that's somewhere between kind of two to five miles a day. Okay, good. Um, but that's other, it. You're I, not, I, you're not a gym rat. You're not running marathons. You're simply sticking to your diet and you're more active kind of on a daily basis, active walks, being out and about, but not necessarily, you know, pumping iron. Correct. Okay. Right. So just to wrap this up, Greta, I get the sense that um, your life has really changed. And it sounds like your father's life has really changed as well. Um, Kind of imagine you're speaking with someone who has goals like like you did. Maybe, Maybe they're 20 pounds overweight. Maybe they're 100 pounds overweight, maybe more. Um, you know, is, was, was and is the challenge of sticking to something like this worth it? I mean, because you know, people who are in love with food are in love with food. Um, on people who are in a, a rut from a weight loss perspective, whether it's medically, emotionally, what have you, um, it's hard to get out of it. So it's a challenge, but I know it was worth it for you, but can you kind of tell that person, you know, why, why it's worth it? Yeah. And, you know, I certainly was that person, right? Like I, um, I, I love to bake. It's a hobby of mine, right? Like I, I love food. I love exploring all the different foods that exist out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, let's put it this way. You, as part of finding what works for you and what you can stick to is finding something that doesn't take that pleasure away from you. Um, the way I think about it is, you know, I, if the minute I tell myself I can never have something again, that's the, quickest way for me to make sure that's all I want. Right, right. And, and so for me, it's what what I promised myself at the beginning of all this that I've stuck to is you're going to, you know, you're, you, you are on a more restrictive program, but um, it's not that you can't ever have these other things again. You just, 
choose when to have them as where the experience of investing that carb, for example, is actually worth the experience. So if you're, you know, celebrating Thanksgiving and you're used to having pecan pie on Thanksgiving with your family, that may be an experience that's worth it for that moment, but that doesn't mean you have it every day. It doesn't mean, you know what I mean? So it's, it's structuring what you're doing in a way that you're able to still have the pleasure that you want out of it, but you don't, you pick and choose when that experience and that pleasure is important enough to make it, to, to do it and, and just know that you're then going to be back on the program the next day or the next, you know, meal or whatever it is. Um, so for me, I didn't, it, it, it not only is the result worth it in terms of impacts to literally every moment of every day. I sleep better. I, you know, am able to not just be a spectator at things that I really get enjoyment and and add pleasure out of that I never really could before. Um, How I interact with new people, both from, in a work perspective, in a, you know, social perspective, you know, my health conditions that literally have all but disappeared in terms of my impact of them day to day. Um, you know, all of those things make the results worth, worth it to me, beyond worth it to me. But I really don't feel like I've given up even the, the, the pleasure side of, you know, what I was consuming, what I was eating before, because I, I actually think that because I have to intentionally think about where is that experience worth it, I actually get more pleasure out of those moments than I would have because I have to, it, they're, they're, they don't happen as often. Wow. Wow. That's, that's an amazing story, Greta, because what you've just described is something you, you're able to live with. And when I say live with, like really live. So, you know, you're, you sound like you're completely in control of, you know, you're, you're not, you're, Yes, you're depriving yourself, but you're depriving yourself in a way that you've chosen to, in a way that you can live with, and in a way that you can vary it from time to time, especially around a holiday or a special event, but but you're in control. Correct. And, you know, let's put it this way. There are moments where, you know, I decided, you know, on a particular day, and it was not pre-planned for months in advance, that, you know, a, a particular experience might be worth it. And that's just part of it, right? Like it does, it's not every day. Uh, there are certainly cheat days mm-hmm. <laughs> where, mm-hmm. where something, you know, is worth the experience, but it's, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like, okay, I've fallen off the wagon. I'm never going to get back on. I don't feel like, you know, I, I have to sort of, you know, scold or sort of, you know, uh, give myself a really hard time about it. It's just, this is, this is not a, you know, the world will end every day if I don't, you know, if, if I'm not, crazy strict. This is, this is my way of life. Well, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. Second of all, not just congratulations for what you've done for yourself, but for congratulations for being able to positively impact the lives of your parents as well. Cause, cause, cause you motivated them to change their lives and even do a, an incredible life transformation in your father's seventies. Yeah. That's amazing. That, that, if if anything, that is what I'm the most proud of of all of this is the impact that he, I'm having any influence at all on the impact that he's been able to have on his life. 
And, and honestly, the fact that, that, that you've all been able to do this and improve your, your, um, you know, not just your weight and your health, but your your mental well being and, and and the life that you're able to lead. Like that's what we're all aspiring to in our own way. So for that, I'm very very envious, um, and, and so it's something I aspire to as well. So thanks for sharing your story with us, Greta. Oh my gosh, thanks for having me. I, it was fun. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, I will talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you. You too. Okay. So we don't all have 250 pounds to lose, and thank goodness for that. But also, thank goodness that Greta actually did it. Her health and her quality of life were clearly compromised. I've known Greta for a long time. I've heard her tell us, or I heard her tell us today, that her blood test numbers were described by her doctor as beautiful and healthy. Those are things that her doctor told her and things that she thought she'd never hear again. I can tell you that Greta is a much improved version of herself from my perspective. I'm sure she is from her perspective, and hopefully she she demonstrated that to all of the listeners. Greta's confidence, her clarity of mind, her mobility, and her positivity have multiplied exponentially over the past two years since she started her weight loss journey. Now, let me reiterate some of the things that came out of our conversation and stuck with me. The learning here is not intermittent fasting is the best practice for everyone, and it's not that the ketogenic diet is the best diet for everyone. I see the learnings as multifold, and I'm going to summarize those into three categories. You know, I always like to do things in threes. So first, learning number one, identify your personal focus area of wellness. What do you want to improve on? Two, find the right practices, whether it's diet, fitness, mental, educational, Find the right practices to address your areas of focus. And three, make sure those practices are ones you can stick with and enjoy. And four, did I say three? Sorry, it's four. Here's four. You're never too old to start and benefit from your improved wellness practices. And Greta taught us that by describing the benefits her father has achieved. So, with that, here's the wrap-up. If you're enjoying Meet Mediocrity, please tell your friends to check us out at www.meetmediocrity.com and, and follow Meet Mediocrity at, on Facebook and on Instagram. Until next time... Or until next week, please stay safe and healthy, stay positive, keep smiling, and be well. Take care, everyone.